0: to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.blchurch.tv. This is Christmas. Come on. I'm so excited. If you didn't notice, I got my, my elf shirt on. And uh, I'm going to really embarrass my family, but every time I wear this, it makes me want to do a little jig, you know. So it's my elf shirt. I'm in the mood. I'm in the Christmas spirit. So welcome. We're in week two of our Christmas series, and um, I just uh, am excited for what God has for us today. It's a, it's a simple message. It is a, a, um, it's a, I would something we probably have heard before, but it's so important that we remember this very As we're talking about presenting the greatest gift. And as as Dave mentioned, I want to give a shout out to uh, our V-Life family who showed up at the food truck giveaway. It was at Pine Run Church of Christ. This is something we do with our ministerial association every month, the second Saturday of every month. And then some local businesses have joined with us to put on additional food trucks. And and, uh, for those of you that maybe have driven by or have participated, you know the need is real. It is a real thing, especially as businesses are shut down. People are in need; they're having a hard time making ends meet. Um, it is a real thing, and I showed up yesterday to the food truck giveaway. Normally, expecting to have volunteers already there, and and Paul St. Louis, pastor of Pine Run, who's organizes that for our community, um, to to be in full swing. But I got there; he was the only one, and I was like, "Oh no, it's raining. This might be this might be a challenge." But then. Um, Pam and Greg showed up, Timmy showed up, and, uh, and then uh, the walkers, um, um, Annie and London, um, who were there, uh, they decided rather than going through the line to come and join and serve, and I just it's awesome to see the heart of our church loving and serving our city, and so I want to give a special thank you. My calf muscle is still screaming, you know, from all that, I mean, I don't know how many pounds of meat we moved, I mean, it was ridiculous, but so awesome, and so I'm so proud of our church family, and I just encourage you to be a part because God is doing something in this city, and it's doing it through this church, and uh, so we're so excited for that. So last week, we talked about presenting the greatest gift, and we talked about the ideal gift, and I hope that you took some time this week and were challenged to make a memory. As you are looking to shop for the ideal gifts, that you don't forget that Actually, you should actually be the gift, that you are the ideal gift. It's not the stuff that we buy, but it's our hearts. It's, it's, it's being the gift that people need and that we take time to slow down enough to see that the gifts that God has given us are the people that are right before our very eyes, that we don't need a bunch of stuff when we have loved ones in our lives, when we have family and friends to share our life with. That the abundance of priceless treasure is already before our very eyes. That we recognize those gifts that have eternal value. There are things you can't buy in a store. You can't buy friendship in a store. You know, it doesn't matter how, how many digital technological things that they have, how many games that, that talk about like, like befriending this or liking this and all this stuff on, on technology. You can't buy friends. But friends that you do have are invaluable. And so we just encourage you to keep that mindset this holiday season. Uh, Did anybody try to figure out their love language? We talked about love languages last week. Anybody? As we talked about the five love languages as we're an effort to be the gift, those languages were words of affirmation, acts of service, quality time, receiving gifts, and physical touch. Did, Did anybody try to figure that out or maybe try to figure out what their spouse or their loved one's love languages were? I mean, it's really insightful when we understand that this is, this is my spouse's love language. And so even though it might not be mine, and, but when they're walking in this, when they're acting this way, what they're doing is they're saying, I love you. And it can bring a greater perception. And when we get to kind of understand the languages that people are speaking, especially as it pertains to love, and we speak those in return, then it has a way of really making a deep impact in the lives of the people that we love and we care about. As we walk out being the ideal gift this season, it's important to remember that the greatest gift that each of us have ever received is not only the same gift, but it was given 2,000 years ago. The greatest gift we have all received, it's the very same gift, and it was given 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ was born in a stable in a manger in Bethlehem in Judea. And it it's the greatest gift we have ever received in our lives. 2,000 years ago is a long time. In the scheme of things, our country's not even been around 300 years. And it seems like America's been around forever. 2,000 years is another story. But yet Jesus is the gift that keeps on giving. He continues to give. He continues to bless. His goodness, there is no end, and you'll never fully realize the greatness of his love for you, ever. It's the gift that keeps on giving. And as we, as we walk out this idea, we're not, we're not going to get into the supernatural nature of his birth today, even though that's an incredible study. If you've never looked into the birth of Christ, you're missing out on a mind-blowing experience. The Bible that we have is a supernatural book. There is no book on the earth like it. There's no religious text that can match it in in its prophetic and its miraculous nature. The Bible talks about the birth of the Messiah. It tells us when he'll be born, where he'll be born what he'll be like, who he will be born to, the events that not only surround his birth but will take place after his birth to give us a pinpoint specificity of who this Messiah is. tells us that he's going, what he's going to accomplish, that he's going to pay for sin. And not only does it say what he did, but it also says one day, beloved, he is coming back. He is coming back. And that's our blessed hope. It's our blessed hope. Jesus is our blessed hope. And Jesus did not just receive gifts in the Christmas story. If you think about when he was born and, and sometime after his birth, the wise men arrive and they give him the gifts, the gold, the frankincense, and myrrh. They didn't, he didn't just receive gifts at his birth. The Bible says in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Jesus is the gift. He is the gift. He's God's greatest gift to all mankind. And we have to remember, and many of us, this might be the first time you've heard this today. But some of you, you've been in church a while, you've heard this before. It's important we don't let our hearts get disconnected from this reality, from this truth. Because this is life and death. This is the most important decision, understanding, reality you can wrestle with in your entire life. The reason why this truth, God's greatest gift in the form of Jesus Christ, is the greatest revelation, it is the most important idea, it is the most significant thing you can wrestle with, is because the Bible gives us a revelation about what the current state of humanity is before God, before this righteous and holy God. Before this, King of kings and Lord of lords. The Bible tells us what our current state is. In Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, it says, As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking after God. This is the state of the world. This is the state of all the world. No one is righteous, no, not one. That word righteous literally means innocent, faultless, or guiltless. And here Paul the Apostle, as he's writing this revelation to the church of Rome through the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, he's quoting from a passage in Isaiah in the Old Testament that there is only one who is righteous, and that is God. No one else in all the world is righteous. No one else is faultless. And all of humanity, if we were to stand before this righteous and holy God, every person stands as guilty before God, everyone, all have sinned, Romans 3, 23, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard, what is that standard, it is His holiness and His perfection, it's His righteousness, the word sin literally means to miss the mark, to miss it, and all of us at one time or another, we've missed the mark, You've done something you knew you shouldn't do. You hid something from your parents. You lied about something. You made a mistake. You you missed the mark. And, And the Bible even goes to say not just doing things that are wrong, but failing to do things you know that are right is also missing the mark. Why? Because God never fails, and he never fails to do everything he knows is right. God never misses it. He doesn't fail to do, he doesn't fall into sin and do what's wrong, but he also never fails to do what is right. He is perfect. He is righteous and holy. And that's his standard for all of us. But all of us have sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. There is no unrighteous, no not one. And righteousness cannot have fellowship with unrighteousness. Perfection cannot have fellowship with with imperfection. Evil cannot have fellowship with good. It's like oil and water. Have you ever tried that experiment where you have a cup of water and you just dump a teaspoon of oil in it? It doesn't matter how much you mix and mix and mix and mix and mix. It will eventually separate again and the oil will sit on top of the water. Why? Because they don't mix. The properties don't bring them together. It's the same with righteousness and unrighteousness. They don't mix. They don't come together. And so because God is righteous and holy and we're all sinners before him, we're all unrighteous before him to remove, remove the impurity from the purity, to remove impurity from his kingdom, from his presence, God in his righteousness and holiness must judge sin. In Romans 6:23, it says for the wages of sin is death. It's death. What are wages? That's what you earn, right? You go to a job, you work the nine to five on Friday, everyone's excited. Why? Because payday, right? It's payday. What is your paycheck? It is the wages that you earn for the work that you did throughout the week. So what the Bible is telling us is that the wages we earn because of missing the mark, it's not life, it's death. It's death. And not just physical death, but it's Spiritual death. It's a dual curse. For God is the source of all life, and he gives life to those who are righteous. But yet the Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. So though God gives life, we've all been cut off from that life because of sin. And the judgment upon sin is death, both in this life and in the next. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, Just as each person is destined to die, then comes what? judgment. Just as each of us one day is destined to die, after our death comes our judgment. We don't have a guarantee of how long we're going to live in this life. The old must die, the young may die. There are no guarantees. There is a day appointed for every one of us. And on that day that we pass from this life to the next, we will stand before God and we will give an account for our lives. And the Bible says what we've earned because of sin it is not life, but it's death. It's eternal separation from God. The absence of all that is good, all that is lovely. And yet also, his judgment is coming upon the whole world. Why? Because the whole world is under this curse of sin. 1 John two fifteen and 16, John says, Do not love this world or the things that it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have, what? The love of the Father in you. When you love the world, which is under the curse of sin, when you love it, you don't have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. This world, because of sin, because of the curse, is under the power of the enemy and his kingdom. And the weapons of our enemy are lies, deception, and influences that he wields in this world that are slated to draw us away from the glorious standard of God and into a twisted, perverse reality of what he desires. There's nothing in the world. The world does not lead to life, but destruction. And this influence of the enemy in the world, the Bible calls the behaviors and customs of this world. These behaviors, these customs, these mindsets, or not life-giving. Another translation of this verse in John says, The world only offers a lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. These influences that draw us away from the righteous and holy standard of God. And this world and the curse upon it is constantly influencing us to be in rebellion toward God, not walk in His righteousness. James 4.4 says, You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you what? an enemy of God. Friendship with the world makes you an enemy with God. And so I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. You make yourself God's enemy. What is he saying? He's saying that if you're seeking the world for your purpose, for your affirmation, for your meaning, for your identity, if you're worshiping at its altars bowing down to its whims and influences. You're joining in in its behaviors and customs that defy God and His glorious standard. If you're rebelling against Him, you are no friend of God. And you have made yourself into His enemy. And God's enemies will face judgment one day. And many of us, we live our lives thinking we're so good because we're comparing ourselves to other people. Yet our lives are lived in rebellion against God and not in submission to him. We've set ourselves up for his judgment and not his blessing. And unless something drastically changes, it's not blessing we'll receive in the last day when we face him face to face. But it'll be judgment because righteousness can have no fellowship with unrighteousness. This is the state of the world for all have sinned but beloved aren't you glad that this righteous and holy God is not just righteous and holy but he is also tender loving gracious patient and kind see the second part of the verse in Romans six twenty three that says for the wages of sin is death it also says the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord now it's getting good. It's all fear and fire and brimstone, but we're starting to see the shift. See, death is a reality. Judgment is a reality. But Jesus came as the drastic measure, the drastic measure to save the world. He's the drastic measure we needed to stand in the gap for the enemies of God so they could turn from their sins and be saved. 2 Peter 3.9 says the Lord's not really being slow about his promise as some people think. He's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. He wants all to what? To repent, to turn to him. He doesn't want anyone judged. He doesn't want anyone to fall under the curse. He doesn't want anyone to stand before him and be sent away. He wants all to turn to him and be saved. He wants everyone to turn to Jesus and find life, to be saved from their sins, to stop being enemies and start becoming his friends. This is why he came. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but he came that we might have life. So his enemies could become his friends. Romans 5.8 said, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Let this reality soak in. You did nothing to earn it. How, how often do we in our lives put standards on people that until they meet that standard, we don't accept them? And we take that into our, our faith and our religious uh, experience with God. We think that until I reach a standard, I'm not acceptable by God. But God says, you can't meet that standard. There's none righteous, no, not one. Jesus came. He fulfilled the expectation so that in him we can become the righteousness of God. And he did it before any sin of yours was forgiven. He died so you could be forgiven. He died while you were a sinner. He came while you're still an enemy. Romans 5.10 says, since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies. Think think about this. Think about war. Think about any circumstance where you're in conflict. And in rather than fighting to win, you sacrifice yourself to redeem the other side. This is what Jesus came to do for each and every one of us. Since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we're still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. See, Jesus didn't come so we could eat feasts and open presents on Christmas. He came to be the greatest gift we could ever receive. He came as the drastic measure, as the display of God's love. And through the gift that God has given, through that blessing, we open gifts and we feast to celebrate that reality. That he's come that we might have life and life more abundantly. See, in Jesus we have forgiveness. In Jesus we have redemption. We have second chances. We have eternal life. And we can become the friend of God. Are you God's friend? Are you friends with God today? Have you made that decision to trust in Jesus and accept his sacrifice on your behalf? Because if not, today you can make that decision. Today, you can make the decision that will radically transform your life. It's what the Bible calls being born again. When you turn to Christ and you and you receive Jesus as your Savior, the Bible says God places his Holy Spirit in your heart and you become something altogether new. You become connected with God where before you were disconnected because of missing the mark. You become connected because of what Jesus has done for you on the cross. Never to be lost again. So this is the ultimate reason why Jesus came. But Jesus did not just come to die for us, beloved. He also came to live. He did not solely come to be our sacrifice. He also came to be our example for how to live out this new relationship And newfound faith we have in Him. In John 15, 9-11, Jesus says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. And just as I obey my Father's commandments, and remain in His love. What Jesus is saying here, He's saying is, the love that I experienced with the Father before I entered the world, the love I experience now as I'm here among you, the love I've been giving to you, this love I've demonstrated for you, you now not only have seen it, you have experienced it. And I want you to remain in it by living this love out with those you see every day. This love I've given you can't be enjoyed alone. Many Christians believe they can live the Christian life in the quietness of their own home. But Jesus is saying, you can't experience the love that I've given you all alone, all by yourself. This love that that I've demonstrated requires you to be around other people. requires you to invest in other people. This love I've given you can't be enjoyed alone. It's meant to be cultivated with other people. And when you do, when you live this out, when you cultivate this love, you demonstrate this in your life. He says in verse 11, I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. It's a promise of God. Many of us are struggling to find joy in this life. And here Jesus is saying, You want a formula? Here it is. Remain in my love, and your joy will overflow. This world wants us to seek what it has to offer to find joy, but it's not joy giving. This world is joy stealing. It's not life giving, it's life taking. True, overwhelming, overflowing joy can only be found in a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ and experienced as we live his love out for us with those around us. And what's so awesome to think is that as we've, we talked about last week, we've discovered these love languages, right? These expressions of how we express love with one another to understand that God didn't just invent love, he is love. He defines what love is. In 1 John 4, 8, it says, anyone who does not love doesn't know God, for God is what? God is love. Like, if you don't know God, you don't really know what love is, because he defines love. He didn't just create it. And Jesus demonstrated with his life what life looks like, and he continues to demonstrate that today. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, he continues to demonstrate his love in your life. Think about when he was on earth. Jesus was constantly building people up with words of affirmation, calling them out of who they thought they were into who God created them to be. When Jesus was on earth, he continued to speak truth over their lives, breaking off the lies that they had believed and spoke life over us and not death. He spent quality time with his disciples, pouring into their lives each and every day. He wept when they wept. He rejoiced when they rejoiced. He was intimately and intentionally involved in every aspect of their lives. He knows every detail. He gave them gifts. He blessed their lives. He served them. The Bible says he left his throne in heaven to take up the form of a servant and served. He washed their feet. And he laid hands on them and loved them. And though that was so long ago, he continues to do that today. God is speaking a word of life over you. So many voices of negativity. But when you open his word, what do you hear? You are an heir of all things. You are a child of God. If you have a relationship with Jesus, you are a joint heir. You have the righteousness of God. You're seated in the heavenly places. You have a purpose. God has a call on your life. There is something God has put in you that the world cannot take away. There are life-giving words that are spoken over your life to get you to see yourself the way God sees you. He's speaking life over you. He spends quality time with you. In those times of prayer and worship. He's intimately involved in every aspect of your life. The Bible says that he catches every tear in your bottle, in his bottle. He has numbered every hair on your head. He knows more about you than you know about yourself. That's how engaged God is with your, your life and the way Jesus is with your life. He continues to give gifts as he blesses us with so many things we don't even deserve. Can I get an amen? I mean, how good are our lives? Even in the midst of our struggle, our lives are good. But then he gives us the Holy Spirit who gives us even more gifts so that his love can be on powerful display in our lives. He gives, he, he serves when he heals the sick and he lays, we lay hands on one another and people are healed when he provides for a need. When we're in desperate need, God continues to serve his beloved and he continues to touch our lives with encounters. It's so awesome to know that God didn't just do this through Jesus when he was here. He continues to demonstrate his love through the languages of love in our everyday lives. You know, there's a famous saying in our world today that says love is love. And it's used to justify people's choices and decisions that are contrary to the word of God. But by our own experience, we know that there are different levels of love. There are different realms of love. Of love, all love is not equal. The Greeks whom the New Testament was written in Greek, many of our cult- much of our culture today is influenced heavily by the ancient Greeks and, and those from that uh, day and time and the Greeks had many words for love, several words that indicated friendship, love, or familial love, like families, uh, brothers and sisters, that type of love. there is romantic love. there are multiple words for love in the, in the English translation of the New Testament. When we see the word love, it could be any number of these words, but we just translated it as love. There are many words that were used to describe love, but not all love is equal. You see, I have love for my friends, but the love I have for my children is deeper than the love that I have for my friends. And I love my children, but the love I have for my wife is deeper than the love I have for my children. You know, just for the record, you know, just so you guys know, I do love each and every one of you. You know, if if my kids are wondering which one's the favorite, the answer is yes. You are the favorite. You're all the favorite. But we have different levels of love. There's different ways we express it, see it, feel it. Not all love is equal. Here in John 15, Jesus is saying there is yet a higher level of love. There's a higher level of love, and I have given it to you. I've demonstrated it with my life, and now I'm giving you an instruction how to stay in it and how to live this thing out. John 15, verse 12, he says, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. So here he's giving us a command, and he just said, if you want your joy to overflow, remain in my love. And when you do that, the way you do that is by obeying my commandments. And here's one of his commandments. Love each other the same way I have loved you. Love each other the same way. Don't love each other the way the world loves through selfish desire that the world wants to call love. Don't love each other through lust that the world wants to call love. That's not what I'm calling you to. I'm not calling you to friendship love. I'm not calling you to romantic love. I'm not calling you to familial love. I'm calling you to a love that is greater than any love you have ever known. It's the love the Father has given me, and it's the same love I have given you. And he's getting ready to define what this love is in verse 13. He says, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. There's no greater. It is self-sacrificing love. And how do we know he loved us that way? Because he put himself on the cross. He said, no one takes my life away. I willingly lay it down for the sins of the world. He willingly sacrificed himself. He gave it all and held nothing back. The love God is calling us to, the love he demonstrated until the day he ascended is not an easy love where we're left feeling content and comfortable. The love he's calling us to is a love that costs us something. It costs something. Paul the Apostle describes God's love in 1 Corinthians 13. And many of you probably had this passage read at your wedding if you're married. Or heard it read at a wedding. It's on many placards. You can find it all over Hobby Lobby. But here's what he says. He says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. Does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Isn't that so sweet? It's beautiful. It's poetry. But what's Paul really getting at? He's saying, I'm describing the love that was demonstrated for you. This is not just a beautiful poem. It is packed with meaning. Why is love patient? Because sacrificial love says my priorities are not top priority. My priorities are not top priority. Why is sacrificial love kind? It's because my expectations don't trump someone else's well-being. Why is sacrificial love not jealous? It's because love honors the blessings of others and is content with its own. Why is sacrificial love not boastful? It's because being blessed has nothing to do with my worth, but everything to do with God's grace and his goodness on display in my life. Why is sacrificial love not proud? It's because it believes that my value is not more valuable than anyone else's. Why is sacrificial love not rude? It's because it understands that my feelings don't justify my actions. Why is sacrificial love not demanding? It's because it understands that my way is not the only way. Why is sacrificial love not irritable? It's because there is grace for mistakes and misunderstandings when you're dealing with people who are broken. Why is sacrificial love... Or why does it not keep any record of wrongs? It's because it understands that forgiveness is the glue to unity involving any relationship. Why is sacrificial love not rejoice over injustice? It's because injustice is harmful to others, and it doesn't try to get away from accountability. Why does sacrificial love rejoice when truth wins? It's because justice heals when the humble take responsibility for their wrongdoing. Why does sacrificial love never give up, never lose faith, and endure through any circumstance? It's because it doesn't base its faith or its identity on our ability to be perfect, but it bases its faith in God's faithfulness. Every description of love requires you to deny yourself and prefer someone else. It is self-sacrificing. Self sacrificial. And this is God's kind of love demonstrated by Jesus and the love He's calling us to. And it is not a love that comes naturally. Why? It's because we've all sinned and missed the mark. It's not a love the world has to offer, it's a sacrificial love. One where the one who has sacrificed is me. I sacrifice. It's a love of self denial. And the Lord has called us to remain in the sacrificial love. Remain in my love. Abide in. Dwell in it. Dwell in this love that I've given to you, that he's given to us. Dwell in this love that I have poured over you. And you will receive something in return. He has promised our joy will be full. Our joy will overflow in our lives. In Luke chapter 2... At the birth of the Messiah, as the angels appear to the shepherds, in verse 10, it says, The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Jesus came, that we might have life and life more abundantly, that our joy might not be filled, but to the overflow. It first comes, Amen. It first comes with the end of sin and the, the payment of his sacrifice, but then it comes to the overflow with living out the life he lived as we love others the way he loved us. It's a twofold gift that God has given. Payment for our sin and a demonstration through his life. John 10.10, the thief cometh not, but for to steal, kill, and destroy, I've come, that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Beloved, this world tells us, this world tells us just to look out for ourselves. I have to get mine. I have to look out for me. If I don't look out for me, no one else will. But Jesus said the true fulfillment, the way to fulfillment and happiness is denying ourselves, laying ourselves down for other people. But you don't understand what I've been through, Pastor Joey. If I don't look out for me, no one else will. No, you don't have to look out for you. You have to deny you. John 15, 14 and 15. This is such a revelation. And I hope this resonates in your heart today. This is such a game changer in your life. If you recognize what Jesus is saying, he's saying in John 15, verse 14, as he's talking about love, he says, You are my friends if you do what I command I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friend since I have told you everything the Father has told me. See, Jesus makes it possible for us to be friends with him. His death makes it possible for us to have life. And his life makes it possible for our joy to overflow. But what is so impactful in this is many of us have grown up with this idea that we're not friends with God. But we're still slaves. At the food giveaway yesterday, I was drenched and just trying to get groceries in the back of these cars as quickly as possible. And there's this truck full of people, and this guy came out after we finished up, and he was just thanking. He's like, oh, we thank you so much. This means so much to us. And, and uh, he, he said, like, why do, you, why do you do this? Why are you doing this? And I just took a, a moment just to say it's because God has blessed us so much, and Jesus loves you, and we want you to know it, you know. And just not really interested in getting a big conversation but, but he's like, oh, yeah, I know. it. I was like, and, and I said, well, do you have a relationship with God? And, and he's like, yeah, yeah, I, w- I work over at the, the Michigan Church Supply. I'm like, okay, I didn't ask you where you worked. I said, do you have a relationship with God? But he was equating what he did that was Christian with who he was to God. As if I only have a relationship with God if I do for him. And I took a second to say, no, you, you have to understand. Jesus paid for your sin on the cross. You don't have to do anything. He did it all. And then I asked him this question. I said, if you wanted to become friends with somebody, how would you begin that relationship? And he said, well, I'd just start talking to him. It's like like, we're talking right now, right? And he's like, yeah, yeah. I was like, okay. What if you wronged them first? What if you really hurt them, hurt their feelings, did something? What would you have to do before starting a relationship with them? And he said, well, I'd, I'd have to make it right. I'd have to, you'd have to ask their forgiveness, right? It's like, yeah. And then after you got that out of the way, then you just say, hey, can we hang out, right? You know, are we good? We're good to go? And he's like, yeah. I was like, it's the same thing with Jesus. He paid the fine for your crimes. He just wants you to ask his forgiveness so he can cleanse you and restore relationship. And then all you got to do is say, hey, can we be friends? Can we be friends? Your relationship with God's not based on what you do for him. You can't do enough. Your relationship's based on what he did for you. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves. The earlier I asked this question, are you a friend of God? And maybe you're struggling to find joy in this hopeless world. Beloved, there is a gift that God has prepared for you. God has presented his greatest gift, one that if you embrace it, if you receive it, it'll lead you to joy to the full. The first decision you need to make in beginning this journey to finding true and overflowing joy is to make a personal, heartfelt decision to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. No one can make that decision for you. You have to do it yourself. That decision first begins with repentance, turning away from sin, admitting, yeah, I've messed up. I've missed the mark. God, I've sinned against you, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry for doing these things. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. And God is so faithful and just, the Bible says, that when you ask him to forgive you, he will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. All that junk between you now gets pushed out of the way. Sins, though they be like scarlet, will be washed white as snow. All your junk gets put in the sea of forgetfulness. As far as the east is from the west. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It first begins with repentance, turning away from sin. To turning to find your purpose in Christ. And then you must receive Him as your Savior. John 1.12 says, As many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. You're not a son of God or a daughter of God until you become one. How do you do that? By receiving Jesus. And that's in when you receive the power. Even to them that believe on His name. Again, you don't just become friends with someone but until you first have a conversation. In Romans, Paul tells us how to have this conversation. It's so very simple. We overcomplicate this so often. It is so simple. Jesus did all the work so he could make it so simple for us. Here's what he says. Romans chapter 10 verse 9. He says, if you openly declare Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it's believing in your heart that you're made right with God and it's openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Here it is in a nutshell. You pray, you pray out loud, and you ask him, forgive me, and then you receive him. God, I receive Jesus today as my Savior, and I'm going to tell people about it. I'm going to openly confess him as my Lord. And it's so simple. We make it so complicated. But if you're here today and you've never had a time in your life where you made that decision, it was yours. Not anything someone put on you. Forced on you, required of you, but you got to that place you say, you know what? Jesus, today, I'm sorry. And I want to begin a relationship. Please forgive me. Be my Lord and Savior. Today, your life can be radically transformed. And you can start the path to discovering overflowing joy. Let's bow for prayer as the worship team comes forward. Lord God, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for this gift, the greatest gift you could ever have given is Jesus. The greatest gift we could ever receive is Jesus. Beloved, God is presenting you the greatest gift, and that's a relationship with him through Jesus Christ our Lord. He is the reason we celebrate. He's the reason for the season. And if you're here today, You've never had a time in your life where you made that personal decision. Right now, in just a minute, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And I encourage you to join in. To join in. And I know God's going to do something in your heart. The Bible says believe in your heart. So it's got to come from your heart. It's not in praying the prayer. The prayer is not going to save you. It's the faith that comes alive in you that's going to save you. It's the trust that you put in Jesus today. It's in the removing of the stuff between you and the establishment of that relationship. And from this day forward, he's going to call you friend. And if you're here today and you need to receive Jesus, that's a decision you want to make. And I encourage you right now to pray with me. Say, Father in heaven, thank you for the greatest gift. In Jesus, please forgive me of all my sins, everything I've ever done or will do. Thank you for the cross, and thank you that Jesus raised from the dead. I put all my faith in his death and resurrection, and I claim him today as my Lord and Savior. Fill me with your spirit. I want to be born again. In Jesus' name. With every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. To the quietness of this moment. If you made that decision for the first time today, I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you, but I do want to pray for you. I want to pray a blessing on your life because the Bible says that when anyone turns to Jesus, there is a party happening in heaven. And we want to rejoice with you. And I want to just pray as you begin this journey a blessing over your life if that's you here today would you just slip your hand up and just let me know i prayed that today and you can slip it right back down anybody at all amen thank you god thank you jesus thank you lord in the name of jesus i ask you to douse them with the holy spirit god that it would pour that even now that heaviness that has been on their heart would shift would change and you would fill them with a life-giving spirit god i just pray right now lord as we rejoice with the angels god there is no greater day than a day any sinner comes to repentance and now this one who was an enemy is now a friend and i speak that lord over them right now every lie the enemy has told them is broken in jesus name every condemnation every Every weight of guilt is cast aside because now they are altogether new. It is a fresh start. It is a new beginning. Today, the mercy is new right now, God, and I just thank you for them in Jesus' name. And we just ask you, Lord, to continue to work, to let your voice be loud, God. Let them be encouraged as they continue to gather with us in your presence and hear from your word and worship in your presence. And we thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of their spiritual journey. God, we worship you today as we celebrate the birth of Christ. We now are celebrating new birth in Christ in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together. From all of us at Vertical Life Church, we want to say thank you for listening this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you, and God bless.